Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. We're just taking a few moments to reflect together on this really simple and basic question. What is a well-lived life? What's the kind of life that really counts in eternity? And to help us out, if you remember, we are looking at some pretty famous instructions from Jesus, which he gave to his closest friends shortly before his death. And if you want to follow along, we're going to be in John chapter 15. I'm going to pick it up in verse 1. This is Jesus speaking. I am the true grapevine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they'll produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I've loved you, even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that you'll be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Though now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. Some profound words which we're going to try and unpack together for the next half an hour. Uh, What do we learn here then about the nature of a well-lived life? Uh, Just to set the ball rolling, can anyone remember what we saw last time? First of all, what is it that counts most? Can you remember? 
fruit, being fruitful, a fruitfulness is what counts most. And secondly, we saw that fruitfulness comes from what? From being connected, connected to Jesus, connected to the vine. Therefore, it kind of follows, doesn't it, that the key thing in living fruitful, productive lives is surely staying close to Jesus. In fact, not just staying close, but actively and intentionally growing in our relationship with him. If you like, we're to remain close to Jesus in the way that a branch stays connected to a vine, receiving from him day by day, being inwardly nourished, renewed, and sustained by him. And not merely out of a sense of duty, but for our enjoyment and for our delight. And really, to that end, this passage shows us five essential tips from Jesus on how to live this out, how to remain or stay connected to him. And that is simply what I want us to focus on for the rest of our time this morning. But just to manage your expectations a bit before we really delve into this, just want to warn you, none of what I'm going to say is likely to come as earth-shattering revelation. In fact, there is the danger that some people could dismiss all of this because it sounds pretty ordinary, pretty mundane, and a little basic. But the reality is, most growth in our lives is gradual and does come from merely doing small things consistently. To quote someone called Gunnar Gunderson, healthy churches don't typically grow by leaps and bounds through splashy initiatives and clever strategies. Note, they grow like trees, slow, steady, strong, with small but certain rings to show for each passing year of faithful collective ministry. Or in the words of someone called Jim Rohn, success is nothing more than a few simple disciplines practiced every day, while failure is simply a few errors of judgment repeated every day. That's not aim for a few errors of judgment repeated every day. We're firing for a few simple disciplines practiced every day. And so if you want to grow in fruitfulness, if you want to be successful, not just in my eyes, but more importantly, in the eyes of Jesus, here are five very simple practices or disciplines or habits to try to build into or grow in your daily routine. Ready for them? Jolly good. It could have been a long wait. Uh, here's the first one. Bring requests in Jesus' name. If you want to grow in fruitfulness, first of all, bring requests in Jesus' name. Verse 7. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. As Tim Keller helpfully clarifies, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knew. 
which certainly isn't to downplay the wonder of what is being promised here. Jesus is assuring us that there is a way of praying that guarantees that what we ask will be granted. Maybe not immediately, and possibly not in the exact way. And maybe not, we'll get there, we'll get there. Maybe not immediately, possibly not in the exact way we had expected, but it will be granted. Anyone interested in discovering how to pray? You're rooting for me, you're with me, great. Anyone interested, even more interested, in discovering how to pray in such a way as to get absolutely everything you ask for? Anyone interested? I think we are. Well, there is a very big clue in verse 8. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. As I've been saying, our Heavenly Father loves to see fruitfulness in our lives. And so when we come to him and say, Father, I want to be more fruitful in my life. Father, please change me. Please work on me. Please empower me to live for you and bring more glory to you. Where I work, uh, at my school, uh, in this particular relationship, in these circumstances I'm struggling with right now, I tell you, those are the kinds of prayers our Heavenly Father loves to answer. You know, sometimes I think we assume there's a reluctance in God to hear us and to answer. But his inclination to give far outweighs our inclination to ask. Listen, if you have got out of the habit, or maybe have never fully developed the habit of regular daily prayer, you are missing out massively. This is part of God's plan for his people. This is part of God's plan for us. This is what he wants for us. He wants us to live fruitful lives. And to live fruitful lives involves praying, and more specifically, praying in his name. Verse 16, I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. I should probably just explain at this point, praying in the name of Jesus has a very particular and specific end in view. It's to glorify him. It's to honour him. It's to promote him. The ultimate goal is for him to be known and cherished and admired and revered and appreciated and delighted in and enjoyed as he ought to be, both in our lives, but also in the lives of the people all around us, which I'd suggest is essentially what it means to live a fruitful life. And so, piecing all of this together... If you want to pray, as you've said you do, if you want to pray and get everything you ask for, pray for greater fruitfulness and learn to pray in Jesus' name for his glory, for his honour and for his renown. All of which sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? But the reality is prayer can often feel like a struggle, can't it? Let's be honest, most of the time... 
we probably don't pray with absolute confidence that anything we ask will be granted. And so very helpfully, Jesus in this passage goes on to encourage us that the best way to fuel our praying is to fill our minds and shape our prayers with the words of Jesus, which cunningly leads to the second tip that Jesus gives us here in this passage. First of all, request in Jesus' name. Secondly, receive Jesus' words. Look again at verse 7. But if you remain in me, and get this bit, and my words remain in you, then you may ask for anything you want. Returning to the picture, we started looking at last week of us as branches connecting to the vine. Jesus' words are like the sap that feeds the plant. So much of the Christian life is about letting the words of Scripture nourish us and shape us. You know, it's not just gaining knowledge so that we sound really godly and can win the occasional argument. Knowledge without life change merely gives the impression of maturity, but without growth in character and obedience, we actually remain immature. In fact, earlier on in John's Gospel, back in chapter 5, Jesus criticises the Pharisees, the religious experts of his day, because they searched the Scriptures, but they failed to come to Jesus for life. So that tells us that Bible reading cannot just be about moving the bookmark closer to the end of the book. No, there must be a particular reason for it. And we're given it here. The reason is to come to Jesus and to seek life from his words. We're we're to come to scripture, we're to come to the Bible with a particular purpose. We want to feed on Christ. We want to know him more. We want to grow in our love for him. We want to grow to trust him more and more. And really to that end, I want to urge you to come here on Sundays with fresh eagerness and hunger and expectation to hear from Jesus. He's here. He's speaking. He wants us to hear from him. But not only that, to do all we can to feed on his words, to remember his words, and to go away and act on his words. And not only that, if you're perhaps out of the habit of Bible reading, I want to encourage you as strongly as I can. This is just a brilliant habit to get back into. I think for a lot of us, if we're being honest, it can just seem like a bit of a chore, a bit of a duty, can't it? But Jesus wants us to step back and see it in a completely new light. He's saying, remember what you are. You're like withered sticks without me. Remember what you're called to. I'm calling you to be fruitful. And you depend entirely on me, Jesus says, for everything, for your life, for fruitfulness. And Jesus is saying, Bible and prayer, 
These are crucial ways for us to connect to the true source of life. These are vital to our receiving his power and his blessing in our everyday lives. So whatever you do, don't miss out on this. So request in Jesus' name. Receive Jesus' words. And then the third encouragement Jesus gives us here is receive his love. Verse 9. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Later on in John, in chapter 17, verse 24, Jesus goes on to explain that the Father has loved him since before the whole world began. That this divine love between the persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, is the deep reality behind everything else. God's love predates time itself. It existed before matter and energy. It's more foundational than anything and everything we can see and experience in the world around us. And really, the prime motivation in creating the world in the first place was to draw others, to draw you, to draw me into this eternal relationship of love between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And where? Tragically, that relationship was broken through sin. Jesus wonderfully came to restore it. He came to reveal the love of the Father for us. And not only that, to draw us into a richer and deeper experience of that love. And so Jesus is saying that he loves us. He loves you as the Father has loved him. Will you let those words sink in? As the Father has loved Jesus, his dearly beloved Son, so Jesus has loved us. So Jesus has loved you. Just as the love of the Father for the Son is the backdrop, the bedrock, the context for everything Jesus does, in the same way Jesus wants his love for us to be that foundational, to be the very core of who we are and what we do. And the wonderful thing about Jesus' love is that it's not a response to our loveliness, which I think is just this massive relief if we have any kind of self-awareness. Jesus says in verse 16, you didn't choose me, no, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. His love isn't because we are great at bearing fruit. His love always comes first. And when we're living in and out of his love, then that enables us to go and bear fruit. Therefore, because Jesus' love isn't a responsive love, it is a secure love. His love for us will outlast this creation as it is. It will endure right on into eternity. His love 
really is that secure. It really is that strong. And so, before we move on to just take in a few more things we are called to do in response, we're to pause and receive his love. We're to bank on it. We're to trust in it. We're to enjoy it. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Receive his love. And then Jesus says, remain in my love. That's the fourth thing out of five. Remain in his love. Now, how do we do that? Well, verse 10 says, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. So here's the question. How does Jesus remain in his father's love and show love back to him? What have we just seen? How does he do it? Through obedience. So how we remain in the love of Jesus and show our love for him? Through our obedience, by obeying his commandments. And strange as it may seem, Jesus says that learning this lesson is actually the pathway to the very deepest joy imaginable. Look at verse 11. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Jesus' greatest joy is obeying his Father. And he wants us to experience something of this joy in our lives too. I think many of us know from experience, don't we, what it's like to live half-heartedly as a Christian at some stage in our lives. And those of us who have done this can probably all testify it's a pretty miserable existence. Like, you can't really enjoy your sin because the Holy Spirit doesn't let you. But all the time there's this nagging conviction that God is finding what you're doing horrible. But you can't really enjoy Jesus either because you know in your heart of hearts you're not right with him. You're not living properly for him. And because it's miserable, it's a pretty unstable place to be. Of course, some people that have kind of perfected the art of giving the impression it's fine to live like this. It's okay to live with a bit of compromise. But they're on a trajectory away from Jesus. And as we've seen, nothing healthy is going to come from that. Which is why Jesus teaches that wholehearted obedience is the root to fullness of joy. Now, you might beg to differ, but I would humbly suggest that Jesus probably knows what he's talking about. And he's told us here that this is absolutely the root to the very best life. So don't you think it might be worth giving this a go? In fact, why not determine to put this to the test this year? Where there's maybe compromise in your life. 
be ruthless in cutting it off. Because the only way to remain in his love and discover true, lasting, overflowing joy is through obedience. Now, the final thing I want to show you here is that the way Jesus encourages us to test him on all of this is by simply loving one another. That's what you see in verse 12. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Fifthly and finally then, we're to radiate his love to others. Jesus wants us to receive his love. Having received his love, remain in it. And as we remain in it, he wants us to share it with others. Now I'm aware that I guess most of us are familiar with this instruction to love one another. And so these words could very easily just kind of wash over us. But did you notice here how Jesus grounds all of this in the image of friendship? Just think for a moment. What makes a true friend? Makes a true friend. I suggest, really, it boils down to two things. A true friend never lets you down and always lets you in. Never lets you down, always lets you in. Now, if you imagine the first without the second, that's the person you can always rely on, you know they're committed to you, but you never really know what's going on on the inside. And don't hear me wrong, that person can be a very useful person to have around, but they're never going to be a great friend to you. Well, let's look at it the other way. If you have the second without the first, that's the person who's always letting you in on their inner life and their deepest secrets, and you you feel really connected to them, but they're not really dependable. They're they're not really committed to you. Again, they're not going to be a great friend. By contrast, Jesus' love for us is shown in him being the very best of friends. Have a look at verse 13. He says, There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Just remember, Jesus uttered those words the night before he literally laid down his life in the most excruciating way for his friends. And in doing so, he's going to show the world the greatest love imaginable. Jesus is demonstrating he is a true friend. He's a friend who will never let us down, whatever the cost. He will go to any lengths. But not only that, Jesus also always lets us in. Look at verse 15. I no longer call you slaves... Because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you're my friends, since I've told you everything the Father told me. Now, it'd be well within the rights of Jesus, of course, to treat us as slaves, which actually would be a much higher privilege than we could ever possibly deserve. Remember how 
John the Baptist, on one occasion, said he wasn't even worthy to untie the sandals of Jesus. To be a slave of Jesus is far above what you or I could ever naturally aspire to be. And yet Jesus doesn't treat us as slaves. He invites us in as friends. And he lets us in on everything the Father reveals to him. So Jesus is giving us a glimpse of what his love is like. He is a true friend. He never lets us down. He always lets us in. And now, verse 12, he invites us to copy him. He says, do you get how I show love? Now share my love with one another. Be real friends to one another. Not just fair weather friends. Not just people who are around when it suits them. Not just formal acquaintances or partners in a common cause. True friends. People who are real with one another. People who aren't always just trying to project an image of themselves. Because if we know in our heart of hearts that we are deeply loved, if we are really secure in the love of Jesus for us, then we're able to be a different kind of person in our relationships with others. We can drop our masks. We can let one another in. We can be true friends. And this, Jesus says, is one of the keys to remaining in his love. We've already seen, haven't we, what he says in verse 10. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. And then here comes his command, verse 12. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. See what he's saying? He's saying we remain connected to him. We, we remain connected to Jesus, not simply by being those who receive his word and pray, but also by being those who receive his love, remain in it, and then radiate it to those around us. And so being lovingly connected to other believers is an essential part of our being connected to Jesus, the vine. Now, I'm coming into land in a few moments. But I don't want you to miss just how important this is. You see, the pervasive individualism of our age cons us into frequently cutting our roots and moving on to the next thing in search of the fulfilment that actually can only come from being more rooted in loving, humdrum, ordinary, warts and all community with others. Even when it feels like our needs aren't being met, even when it's incredibly hard work, even when it seems like there isn't really anything in it for us, the call of Jesus here is to put down deeper roots, to keep showing love 
to believe the best, to forgive, to persevere. Because if all we ever do is run away from hard situations, for starters, we avoid learning more about ourselves and our own brokenness. And tragically, when we're in difficulty, as we will be at numerous points in our lives where we've shunned community, we're going to find ourselves isolated and alone without the relationships that in that moment we desperately need to hold and support us. And for all those people listening to this right now, for whom in reality it's just this ongoing battle to remain because it's so relationally difficult, those people don't merely need a pep talk from me on the importance of counting the cost and gritting their teeth and persevering. You know what they need? They need to be overwhelmed by the kindness and love of others, reaching out to them, embracing them and letting them in. Now, just to be real, I know that this Sunday meeting isn't always the most conducive to building this kind of deep community that I'm talking about. And that's the case for a whole bunch of practical reasons that are kind of out of our control. And I stress that this is why we're so strong, actually, in encouraging people to join a community group as soon as possible, because that's a way easier context, a much easier environment for growing the kind of loving relationships that Jesus is talking about. You know... Church is not a meeting you go to for an hour and a half on a Sunday. So much of the life of the church is found outside of this room, lived out the rest of the week in relationship together. But that's not to dismiss the importance of gathering like this. Gathering to be taught to receive the words of Jesus to us. Gathering to encounter God together as we worship, as we, one another, step out and use the spiritual gifts that God has given us for the strengthening and the building up of the whole body. So we gather to be caught up in a bigger mission to have our eyes just lifted and open to see the mission that God has called us to in our city and our nation to the end's of the earth. And so gathering together like this is of huge value. Right? I think sadly some of us are blind to how hard a lot of people find it being in this room on a Sunday. Maybe the anxiety of just walking into a crowded space, the, the, the sense of feeling different to others, the fear all the time of being judged. The feelings of aloneness when it seems like everyone else is talking to one another and you're just a bit left out. If you can relate to any of those feelings, I want to acknowledge them and I want to thank you for overcoming all of those things to be here today. Even if it feels like no one else can see you, Jesus sees. And he loves your courage 
and your perseverance. And for those who haven't a clue what I'm talking about, it's like you've never experienced this, I want to urge you to open your eyes and go to those who could otherwise be overlooked. Very practically, why not make it your aim to lovingly come alongside and encourage someone different, someone new, every Sunday? If we all did that, I tell you, this would be a way more loving place. In all of this, let's not lose sight of the driver here. It's Jesus. And Jesus led the way in laying down his life for others. And he now calls us to follow this lead in the way we are in our relationships with others in the church. (coughs) Now, returning to where we started, if you can remember back then, do you remember we began with that question, what is a well-lived life? I hope it's a question we're all invested in. What would make a life worth living, a life that counts into eternity? Well, wonderfully, Jesus tells us exactly the answer. As we've been seeing, fruitfulness is what counts. And fruitfulness is a promise for all those who remain connected to Jesus. So Jesus' call to us is to be those who stick close to him, grow in our relationship with him, and try and work these five simple things into our daily lives. Request in his name, receive his words, receive his love, remain in his love, and radiate his love to others.